Hello, and welcome to The History Book. I'm your host, Jacob Thomas, and today we are taking an in-depth look into one of the first major sex scandals in the United States, mythical creatures, and the ideas that formed a nation. So pull up a chair, and let's get into the history. Good Wednesday afternoon to everybody out there. Uh, today the show is going to be a little bit different because I've gathered questions from some of uh, some of you, the listeners, and basically we're going to have a little Q&A on the show today. Uh, the first question comes from a friend of the show, Ethan, who asked about the Reynolds pamphlet made popular by uh, the musical Hamilton that's been recently added to Disney+. Plus. Uh, I highly recommend going and checking it out. It's very well done. Uh, I am taking his question in a way uh, to sort of flesh out the truth behind a musical here and to give you, the listeners, the real story of the Hamilton Reynolds Affair. Now, in the summer of 1791, Mariah Reynolds approaches Secretary of State, then Secretary of State, Alexander Hamilton, and asks for money. Uh, she explains that her husband has left her uh, penniless and, uh, and she has no way to support herself. Uh, now, this wasn't very uncommon. Uh, Hamilton at the time didn't really have any money to give her, but seeing that she was a woman in distress and, uh, and in need, he informs her that he will come by her home a little bit later with some money. Uh, so later on, he stops by her home, and she leads him to her bedroom, where, as Hamilton says, some conversation ensued that which it was quickly apparent that other than pecuniary consolation would be accepted. Uh, and Hamilton and Mariah Reynolds began this uh, almost year-long affair. Uh, Hamilton at the time is married to uh, one of the Schuyler sisters, Eliza Schuyler, and Mariah is also married. Uh, as I explained earlier, she claims that her husband had left her with no money to support herself. Now, Hamilton and Mariah, or Maria, uh, there's various ways that her name is said. Uh, I'm going to use the name Mariah. Uh, but they continue this affair to a very degree until June of 1792. Now in the meantime, Mariah's husband James Reynolds is well aware of the affair and really begins to invite Hamilton to these meetings with his wife in exchange for some monetary compensation is the best way to put it. Now, Hamilton ends up paying Reynolds about $1,300 over time, uh, but in the meantime, it really becomes clear that both Mariah and James Reynolds are in on this extortion of Alexander Hamilton. Now, really, by, the Ju by June of 1792, uh, Hamilton has made it perfectly clear that he wants out of this. Uh, now, there are many occasions where Hamilton says this, and... On one occasion, he says this, and Mariah and James both write him a letter and basically says, basically say, you know, don't stop, uh, you know, we still need your money, and, you know, you can still see Mariah. Now, as I was saying, by June of 1792, uh, Hamilton has said he doesn't want this to happen anymore, and James Reynolds has changed his mind many a times, going back and forth whether he wants his wife involved in this, and at this time, by the June of 1792, they're both in agreement, this should end. Uh, now, around the same time, James Reynolds is also arrested for a scheme involving unpaid wages to Revolutionary War veterans. Uh, he uses his knowledge and dirt on Hamilton to get out of jail, 
And because of this, on June 15, 1792, James Monroe, the future fifth president of the United States, and some others confront Alexander Hamilton with accusations of corruption, saying that he used his uh, standing and power in the federal government to provide assistance to this man and is helping him uh, in this scheme with the, uh, involving the unpaid wages to the veterans. Hamilton takes offense to this and denies it and then provides evidence to Monroe and the others of the affair with James Reynolds' wife, Mariah. Uh, Monroe and his friends, they believe Hamilton. They promise, you know, we're not going to reveal any knowledge. However, James Monroe is very close with Thomas Jefferson. The, uh, the best way to put it is arch nemesis to Alexander Hamilton. And he does send these letters that James Reynolds has written to Hamilton, that Hamilton has written to Mariah. Uh, he sends all this information to Jefferson, who around 1797 begins to spread rumors of the affair, saying that Hamilton has done this. And Hamilton confronts Monroe and gets very close to calling him a liar, which would have been very offensive at the time. And because of this, Monroe challenges him to a duel. But in a strange twist of, I guess, historical irony, Aaron Burr is the one that intercedes the duel and stops these two from shooting each other. Now, on August 25th, 1797, Hamilton writes something called the Observations on Certain Documents because a man had published uh, the accusations that, you know, Hamilton had done this, he, he was corrupt, he was untrustworthy, which is what Jefferson had basically been saying. Uh, there's some belief, I believe, I, I've seen that uh, Jefferson was behind this article really coming out about Hamilton. Now, as I was saying, on August 25th, Hamilton writes the observation of certain documents, or as it's popularly known, the Reynolds pamphlet. Uh, this pamphlet is 95 pages. Uh, Hamilton really was nonstop. Now, Hamilton's reputation is severely damaged. Uh, he really, in a weird way, proves Jefferson right. Jefferson keeps saying this immigrant's untrustworthy, he can't be trusted with your money. And instead of just outright denying, because in the pamphlet, Hamilton denies the corruption, but does not deny Mariah. He says, yes, I had this affair. Uh, I brought shame to my house. However, I didn't do anything to corrupt. And it really does prove Thomas Jefferson right, because Hamilton is untrustworthy uh, with his own wife. Now, his candor is really admired at the time. And one of what Jefferson really hoped would happen was that Washington would be convinced, you know, uh, George Washington, the president, would have been convinced that Hamilton's untrustworthy. Uh, I can no longer be at his side. He needs to go. Um, because at this time, Hamilton had already left the cabinet. And I believe Jefferson had two. I'm not 100% sure on that. I can look that up later. So, uh, as I was saying, you know, Jefferson really hoped that Washington would really be convinced that uh, Hamilton's untrustworthy. But really what happens is Washington basically comes out and says, I still hold Hamilton in, quote, the highest esteem. Now, as the musical uh, says, Eliza does burn the letters that Hamilton wrote to her when, they were, when he was courting her. However, the reason she burns the letters is uh, a little bit more uh, in-depth than what the musical shows. And that, that, that is that these letters are so similar to the letters that... Uh, Hamilton writes to Mariah. Uh, in a lot of ways, there's some uh, belief that this whole affair was really faked, 
and that Hamilton really was corrupt, that he really did provide some sort of assistance to James Reynolds through federal funds. Uh, now, as I was saying, you know, Eliza does burn these letters. Uh, eventually, her relationship with Hamilton does sort of uh, heal. Uh, Hamilton's shot by Burr, and, you know, the story ends. However, this is the true accounts of what happens with the Hamilton-Reynolds affair. Now, uh, right now we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from, well, me, about how you can stay connected with the history book. Hello everyone, this is Jacob, the host of the History Book, here to remind you that you can find the History Book on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on our website, www.thehistorybook20.wixsite.com backslash thehistorybook. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to the show. Our next topic in question comes from another friend of the show, Austin, who asked about the legend of the Mothman. Uh, this is very close to my home, uh, living in West Virginia for a while. Uh, the Mothman is a, is a mythical, and I put that in air quotes as much as I can, uh, mythical creature in West Virginia that has gained a large fame across the country. Uh, the legend comes from a series of sightings near Point Pleasant, West Virginia, of a large humanoid creature with 10-foot wings and glowing red eyes. Uh, these sightings range from November 12, 1966, to December 15, 1967, although there are a variety of so-called sightings after this as well, but this is where the popular myth comes from. Now, one of the first sightings comes from five men that are digging graves in a cemetery, uh, so they seem like a real reputable source of, of information here. Uh, other sightings are near a place outside of town known as the TNT area, which is an old World War II ammunition factory. The Mothman sightings have been commonly linked with premonitions of disaster, uh, specifically with the collapse of the Silver, Gate, Silver Bridge on December 15, 1967. Uh, later on, they do replace the bridge with the Silver Memorial Bridge. I've crossed it many times. It, it is a bit uh, paranoid, I, I guess it's paranoia, that comes across when you realize this is the bridge that was where the bridge that fell. We can talk about my issues later. However, scientific belief, or at least one explanation of the time, is that the population of Point Pleasant were really seeing a sandhill crane that had gotten off its migration patterns. Underneath the eyes of those cranes, there's red uh, sort of eyelids, and they can seem to glow when a flashlight quickly hits on them. Now, the Mothman is celebrated with a giant, and I will say awesome, statue in downtown Point Pleasant as well as a festival in September, which is also really great. I've been there many a times. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, currently, there's a petition on change.org, which at the time of recording has almost 3,000 signatures. And that petition is to replace every Confederate statue in the United States with the statue of Mothman. Uh, I, I'm not going to give my opinion on that or say that I'm behind it, but like I said before, the Mothman statue is pretty cool. I think the best way to really end this segment of, of the podcast is to say, I'm not saying the Mothman is real, but I'm not saying he's not. Now on to our next segment. This next portion of the show comes to us from friend of the show, Gracie, who asks, 
whose idea of America came true, Alexander Hamilton's or Thomas Jefferson's? As I explained a little bit earlier in the show, uh, Hamilton and Jefferson both serve on George Washington's first presidential cabinet. Hamilton as Secretary of Treasury and Thomas Jefferson as Secretary of State. If you've watched or seen the music Hamilton, uh, one, I'm very jealous, and two, you'll know these men were what we would might call arch nemesis throughout their times in Washington's cabinet and even afterwards. Uh, and that rivalry, it, it really links back to their philosophical differences and how they felt that uh, the United States government and any government should operate. Uh, to answer the question given to the show by Gracie, we're going to really take a look at what Hamilton's ideas were, and then we'll take a look at what Jefferson's ideas were, and then at the end, I'll really give my opinion, uh, you might disagree with me, on whose ideas really won out in the end. Uh, to begin, Hamilton's ideas for the government primarily centered around his reports on the American credit. Uh, in these documents presented to Congress, Hamilton really explains his want for the assumption of debts by the federal government, of British debts, uh, establishment of a national bank, and a focus on the U.S. industrial force. Hamilton pushes for larger government intervention in a way, and he wants a strong executive. Uh, the whole time Hamilton is really coming up with these ideas of what the federal government should be, Washington is on his mind as the man that's in command. Now, Thomas Jefferson's ideas really revolve on what he would have called his country at the time, and that is the state of Virginia. Jefferson wants America to stay primarily agriculture, with industry really revolving around the agriculture, not the agriculture revolving around the industry. His plan revolves around what became a popular term of states' rights, and that is that the states would have far more control and that there will be uh, a smaller federal government which really would assist the states in what they need to do. Uh, but once Jefferson is in this executive power as the third president, he does, uh, he does make the Louisiana Purchase. And the reason I bring up the Louisiana Purchase is at the time it's one of the largest, uh, some might call overreaches of executive power. Uh, Jefferson in the Constitution, in the Constitution the president has no right to make treaties. That is Congress's role, and it is Congress's role to buy the Louisiana land. However, Napoleon and the French offered the land to Jefferson. Jefferson felt that he was running out of time and felt, if I pull the trigger now, we'll have this. Now, the other thing we need to remember about Jefferson is, with all that being said, he was also a champion of university education and is the father of the University of Virginia. Both he and Hamilton call for a separation of government and religion. In the end, the, the answer to the question isn't as cut and dry as some of you might think. Uh, to really give you my opinion on it, yes, Hamilton's idea of the United States as an industrial giant really does win out in the end. But Jefferson's ideas of university education and religion and government are still in practice today. Uh, not to mention the fact that from, I would say, the beginning, the colonial era until probably into the civil rights area. The South, Jefferson's home and Washington's home, is primarily agriculture. The, the sort of U.S. industrial force is really centered around uh, the North, uh, which, and New, places like New York where Hamilton is from. So, I don't think you can really say whose idea won out 
I think I think now we can really say that Hamilton's industrial idea of an industrial giant in the United States does win. The United States is an industrial giant still. But I don't think we can take Jefferson's ideas as not having a major impact on the U.S. government today. So in the end, uh, to answer Gracie's question of whose ideas won out, I really have to say both. So to cap off this week's show, uh, I want to announce next week's topic. And I think it's going to be a really fun one. It's not something that I think, uh, I think a whole lot of people know of it, but don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, and it's not necessarily something I would call my comfort zone. It's something that I'm going to have to do a lot of research in and look into it. But I'm very excited for it. The ne- next week's topic is going to be The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, that show will be going public on Spotify and Apple at various times after July 29th. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, thank you for listening in. And as always, I'm Jacob Thomas, and this has been The History Book.